Welcome to this episode of Barrels and Business. As always, I am your host, Jay Green, and it's my job to bring you some tangible tips on how you can grow your business, live the surfer lifestyle, and obviously some great ideas of where you can get wet in the world. Today, I am joined by Sean Levings, creator of the Maldives Experiences. He's been in the travel industry since 1985. Wouldn't guess it by your looks. Keeps young, <laughs> right? He's been involved in surf and adventure tourism since 1993, and he's one of the pioneers of the Maldives surf tourism. Now, you guys listening will probably know this brand name, World Surf Safaris. Now, what am I saying that right? Safaris, surf. Safaris, <laughs> World Safaris. So Sean actually created and sold World Safaris. And he's going to talk us a little bit through about that journey and how he's moved on to his new life philosophy of life is short, so work smart, not hard. When Sean isn't uh, running his new venture, Island Hop Maldives, you can find him giving back to the community and enriching the lives of those living with intellectual impairment as a part-time disability support worker. And he's obviously surfing five days a week. He's just rubbed it in that I didn't get to get wet at D-Bar today, but he had some super fun ways with the wind down. So let's dive right in. Sean, what did I miss out in your bio? Oh, I think you nailed it, Jay. That's pretty good. Um, yeah, my business name is Island Hot Maldives. Um, that's my new little venture, as you mentioned. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I think you you succinctly nailed it there. Awesome. So we were talking a little bit before the show about your your journey with Wells Faris and what was the lessons that you learned that you thought that our listeners should know? So can I pull that thread again? What is it? Mm -hmm. What was it that you said that you think is one of the downfalls in small business owners and what holds them back from taking the next leap? Um, I think it's that conservative approach from some small business owners and possibly a lack of um, belief that they can be you know, number one in their given sector or industry. Um, and therefore they don't spend the, the money required to do their marketing and sales and really get their name out there. Um, I think that, you know, that's, that, that is a trap that I have seen. And I actually, I, I um, when I sold World Safaris, I did a bit of business consultancy as well um, to work with some other uh, involved in the travel industry to, to try and get them to think bigger and, you know, really get their names out there, which is, you know, it's tough these days, particularly with online marketing, because you do have to spend quite a, quite a bit to really reach that target audience, um, unless you have, you know, amazing content and you've got a million followers and so forth, which isn't really, um, you know, isn't typical of a lot of businesses. So uh, I, I think that, you know, you've got to spend money to make money is probably a philosophy that I really used back in the day. And it did did work for me to to get my brand synonymous with with the, the public that well, my target audience. So let's just remind the audience, like, how what is that brand? So you took it, it was did you have it for 19, 20 years? Is that right? Yeah, 19 years. World, World Safaris, I started in 1997 and I sold in 2016. Um, so that was um, after I moved to Queensland in 96. I got married in 95 in Sydney and I'd been working in, in tourism since, as you mentioned, 1985. So I had 10 years kind of earning my stripes in, in tourism, working with Thomas Cook Travel, who were, you know, in the 80s uh, and 90s were the biggest general the travel company yep. in the world. <laughs> yeah, they were massive. So I kind of did my apprenticeship there and learned how to do things the right way and then moved to Queensland and um, hooked up with a mate who was had been to the Maldives in the early 90s and and started running a, uh, a boat over there and um, needed needed someone to help with the sales and marketing. So um, I did that. And then gradually, um, 
as I'd already, I'd worked with a surf travel company in Sydney from 1993 to 96. Um, so my name was already out there in surf tourism and there was quite a few suppliers who um, wanted to enlist my services to, to do the sales and marketing. And that's, that's basically what World Safaris was. It was, it was allowing the tour operators to do what they do best and cater to the, the customers and maintain their surf camps and surf charter vessels and so forth. And, uh, you know, enlist me and my team to, to put their product up in lights and, uh, and get them bums in bed. So um, that's what, yeah, that's what it was all about. So beautiful. So you grew up from just, just you picking up some business to how many locations did you have around the world? What was the size of the team when you sold it? Um, well, we had our head office in Malulaba had 12 staff and then we had a couple of staff at uh, Kira Surf on the Gold Coast in a little implant office there. Um, and then we had a team over in, in Bali based out of Sanua run by a guy named Michael Hill. And then uh, had a guy in California and a guy in, in Tokyo. Um, so yeah, we had a we had a good network and we also had a, a network of international agents in Brazil and Europe who we would wholesale to. So they would basically, um, they would sell our products under their own company name and uh, it just made it easy for them. They didn't have to go and, you know, source all the product and deal with all the uh, behind the scenes stuff um, that was left to, to me and my team to do. And they were just able to brand it as theirs and take their cut. Yeah. Awesome. So can you talk me through the growth of the business? Like what were your, your challenges or your wins when it, when it came to building an international team and a multi-location team? Um, I guess it was finding the right people first and foremost to 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 represent our product um, with the expertise and the the knowledge of the destinations and the you know the uh, I guess the marketing uh, nows to be able to um, to to reach the audience in their in their sector in their demographic um, uh, I guess that and just the logistics the you know, international business law in other countries, um, our time zones as well. I mean, that was a challenge, a hurdle when you're dealing with, uh, you know, agents in California who have clients who, you know, want to travel almost immediately, yet they had to, you know, come via head office to, to get everything sorted. Um, there was a few hurdles in that regard, but um, I guess it, it got easier with technology. Um, obviously, you know, when I first started, there was, well, there was faxes and there was phone calls. <laughs> yeah, you know, and then, you know, obviously it wasn't until about, it wasn't until about the mid, uh, it was probably about 1993 that I started using email. So yeah, I mean, that was, uh, that was before I started World Safaris, but yeah, it, um, it, um, it wasn't without its challenges, but it certainly, uh, and then I guess it was, like we'd be running boats in the Maldives and you'd have, it was actually pretty cool. You'd get a group uh, on board and there might be two Californians, uh, you know, two Frenchmen, a, 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 sounds like a telling a joke, um, a <laughs> Japanese and four Aussies, you know, what could possibly go wrong? Uh, but um, yeah, it was really cool. A lot of people made lifelong friends. A lot of our customers really enjoyed that aspect of it being truly international uh, and being able to mix with um, with guests from other countries. Awesome. So a lot of people go like, who, would, who wouldn't want to work at a place like that? It must have been easy for you to get people wanting to come and work for you. Is, is that a true statement or like you had lots of people that wanted to work for you, but you still couldn't get the the right skills mix what was what was that like for you with filling your team i mean first and foremost we needed expert travel consultants so a lot of them came from a flight center or you know harvey world or whatever background um in 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 retail travel and had an interest in surfing um or you know i mean some of the female consultants that i had working with me some of them didn't necessarily surf, but their brothers surfed. So their 
husbands surfed, their their kids surfed or whatever, and they, you know, they were interested. So it was, um, I mean, it had a lot of young guys kind of misconstruing what the job was all about and, and <laughs> you know, beating down the door to get a job with me. But when I'd explain that it was, uh, you know, you're, you're a travel consultant first and foremost with sales targets and, uh, and, and uh, you know, a vast uh, product range to get to know the intricacies of. And, uh, you know, obviously back in, we were selling a lot of airfares and having to, you know, do the job of a travel agent with the expertise of a niche market. Mm-hmm. Um, the jobs that were really, really desirable to a lot of guys were working on the boats and so forth over in the Maldives. We used to employ a lot of experts, uh, you know, as guides and photographers and so forth to go over the Maldives or Indo or Samoa or where Papua New Guinea to uh, to work as surf guides. So, yeah, a lot of guys, obviously, that's a dream job. Yeah. So, yeah. but how do you how do you wrangle them? How did you lead them to make sure that they were still getting the job done and you know putting putting the job first rather than the surfing uh well i guess they you know they had sales targets and they had to reach those targets and um you know we we were you know we're we're, they're working in an office uh in an office environment um so it was obviously uh measured uh kpis and so forth so it was um it wasn't just a matter of, um, you know, getting in there and talking about going surfing all day. It was actually, you know, being able to convert a sale and, um, you know, in a in a fairly competitive marketplace. Um, so yeah, that was. I mean, we all, we pride ourselves on having a range of unique, unique products that not a lot of other companies marketed. Um, so it, you know, it did make their job easier. The, you know the unique and quality um but that yeah they they were obviously measured and if the sales weren't up to scratch or their service wasn't up to scratch well they probably weren't meant to be working in that industry yeah beautiful do you think that the key to having them be successful was giving that real clarity around the kpis and the metrics because i see a lot of business owners they don't want to be micromanagers or maybe they haven't been salespeople themselves in the past and they Mm. lack the giving those clear boundaries can you just talk me through what your experience is when it comes to getting the best out of salesperson yeah we had some really good incentives in place um for reaching sales targets and uh you know we had a bonus system we had an annual bonus system for uh, the team we had a team target and we had then individual targets so and we were very yeah obviously they were annually reviewed and at the start of each financial year every consultant had a you know a, a one-on-one review with me and the HR team um, and we discussed you know their performance and and it was two-way street they could give yeah, obviously feedback as well but yeah then the they were they were presented with their new targets um and then at the end of every month we had a um we had some pretty good reporting methods um where it was it was reported and it was transparent Mm. amongst all team members of everyone's uh results so i guess you know some people have a problem with that um however i i feel transparency is uh, vital in order for everyone to be on an even playing field um so uh yeah it was it was laid out the targets were quite attractive so the annual targets and then we had interim um interim promotions such as our you know get in early sale which was prompting people to to book you know uh the year before to lock in their trip for the following year um so every passenger converted onto that you know, they might have got $10 per person or 20 bucks per person, which accumulated, you know, quite, quite handsomely. Um, so um, I guess they were, there was certainly, there was some good extra bonuses to be had. Um, and there was certainly some, you know, achievable targets. Uh, we didn't make things, um you know, ridiculously, it was all based on what they'd achieved the year before and their experience and their seniority. So it wasn't as if every consultant had the same targets. It was based on their, you know, their expertise and their experience as well. 
Oh, I love that because too often have I seen, so I come from a background in headhunting and recruitment specifically in sales and executive. So I did Mm. 13 years specifically in recruiting salespeople. And too often did I see a broad brushstroke set of KPIs Mm. delivered out and not taking into consideration any of those uh in diff- like differences within the personality, like how long how long have they been in it? How new are they? How much grooming yep. do they have? How long mm. have they been building um, their product knowledge, like the comfortability? Mm. And mm. so then when you have that disparity, it's hard, like, and, and there's transparency, people start to feel like they're a poor performer and then yep. that becomes their reality. But in reality, that if you looked at a like for like, it's a completely different situation. So I love that mm. you had the awareness around that. Is that something you took from being in the travel industry before or something that you guys just came across and found that was going to work better for you? That's something, you know, I I probably pride myself on being fairly self-taught, but being uh, intuitive and, um, I guess, realistic to... um, to the abilities of, of, of people uh, and, and, you know, obviously staff morale is everything, I believe, and having a great team environment. So you didn't want staff to be down, uh, you know, you know, down, down on their morale by um, constantly not being able to reach their targets, obviously. Um, so, yeah, hence that was the reason why we did that. So you, you're, you're absolutely right. That, that, um, level of experience, that product knowledge, that past performance, that, you know, basically each individual is different. And you've got gun salespeople that are going to sell more than others. It's just a fact of life, you know. Yeah. Hence, they'll be paid more on salary and on, you know, on, and they'll achieve more in their, their their targets and incentives and their results, yeah. yeah. Um, but and, I love about yeah. what you're saying there is I feel like the – and when I've seen it in action, the the team member has more ownership over the process because they're bought in because it's for them. It's not like it, they're not mm. um, disconnected from what that number is. It's a for them number. They're, and if you walk them through to help them come up with that number as well, like you've gone, okay, this is last year's performance. This is the skill set we think we've got. This is what we think we can get to. And you enroll them in the journey of, of setting that target and what that means mm. to them. You get mm. so much more buy-in um and therefore yeah ownership and delivery because of that yeah i agree and the team target as well worked exceptionally well because it then became you know those that um might have been dragging the chain a bit and needed a bit more of a push would the other team members would get in and go okay all right how can we get the target your your sales up how can we because we really want to hit this team target because it was quite a attractive uh, amount that they would reach. But but the, I was pretty strict on it. I mean, it was if we didn't reach that team target, sorry, guys, you don't get that team incentive. So therefore, they pulled together. I mean, they still got their individual targets if they if they reached them. Mm-hmm. But if the ta- uh, uh, if the team target wasn't wasn't reached, they, then um, then that wasn't payable. Um, so that um, they did pull together. I found they pulled together as yeah. a team to support each other to get to that goal. Yeah, I love it. Uh, another thing that I see there is that when it's not just about them, when you like, if you've got a true team player, they don't mm. want to let down the rest of the team. They might get, say, they might be complacent in their own life, but the the bonus is enough. They're living to a standard of living that they're happy with. That maybe they mm. don't. They've got what they want. They're not driven mm. by making that going that extra mile the fact that they're now bought into a bigger thing something outside of themselves and that becomes less egocentric more team centric mm. allows yeah. them to step up the plate it also allows those like you said the having the other team members go how can i help you like yeah. it they don't it stops a bit of that um as we see the the we've seen sales guns that can sometimes be a little bit ego and a little Mm. bit about themselves. And like, they're only Mm. focused on their shit because they want their, like their bonus and they don't want to share their time or their knowledge with someone else. Or they get fearful that someone might get better than them or like Mm. outshine them. And they, they want to keep their specialty to themselves. This really allows them to shed that ego and, and bring others with them and which will exponentially grow your team and take so much pressure off of the sales manager 
yep. because now you've got the collective group imparting all of the skills upon each other. Love mm. it. Mm. Yeah, and it got really exciting. Like this time of the year, I mean, it's June 30 tomorrow, isn't it? What's the date? Yeah. <laughs> June 30 tomorrow. So, you know, this maybe time I, of the year. Maybe I need to uh, pre-book a um, company conference on your new boat for Island Hop Maldives so that, you know, we get that invoice in now and then That's I'll just, right. what do you think? Do, <laughs> we'll it. Book a do, it. do it. We can make a conference happen. <laughs> barrels love- and business and barrels conference. Yeah. Like, yeah. riddle on that. Two favourite wow. things. Surf, snorkel, business trips. Snorkel, you know, have your board meetings, have your sunset cocktails up on the sunset deck, you know, have our chef Gopal prepare you dinner parties every night, you know. This this sounds sounds perfect to me. Board Mm. meetings. It it is actually uh, a dream of mine. I had, I've run a couple in Bali previously Mm. um, and I had one booked just before COVID. I still have a booking for an epic um, villa that's right on the cliff at Bingen. Um, and it had just been restored after the fires went through a few years ago. Okay. Amazing. And we designed a whole uh, whole week's worth of activities of really going, it's a flexible flexible agenda because we go, depending on what the surf's doing, depending on what the tide's doing, obviously with Bingen, yep. that's a really, <laughs> it's a really exactly. poignant thing is what what is the tide doing? And yep. we would plan the workshops around it. But mm. what I what I love about, the the concept of it is the more flow that you have the more flow that you get so if Mm. we can drop people into flow like activities surfing for those that surf snorkeling for those that don't or sunning themselves if they if they want to and and enjoying that decompressing the brain we can get Mm. even more uptake in the learnings and the like if we're doing a strategy session or we're learning a new leadership model or designing a new recruitment funnel or any of those things you can get brainstorming. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No, the creative juices flow, the, you know, it enhances the, you know, the endorphin rush is there and therefore the productivity, you know, if you are, as long as your brain doesn't go to sleep, you know, you can, uh, (laughs) but you know, if you're, um, if you're in that, if you're there for that purpose of it being a conference and uh, uh, you know, you can have the best of both worlds. That's for sure. hundred percent. So I just mm. want to circle back to your, like what, what were the things that you needed to put into place to be able to sell the business? So was it, was it a accidental sale? Someone come along and just offered you money or was it a, was it a curated designed experience and you put certain things in place to, to achieve the, Um, I actually identified a potential business partner. I'd been considering taking on a partner. Uh, um, Just I I was basically becoming a little burnt out, you know, I had too many balls in the air um, and I really did, you know, and and I I was looking for a a, uh, new, new blood to come in and rejuvenate certain things or not rejuvenate just to you know to look at different avenues um so i identified a business partner and i I, he was actually a client of ours um and he was he'd been retired for a year or so and he was doing quite a few surf trips um and so i actually approached him and said mate would you be interested in uh in getting on on board and uh he was he was he, he basically realized that he was too young to retire at that point and um he wanted to you know he wanted to keep his brain sharp and uh and and he loved our business so um he used to state uh, for those old people old enough to remember the ad the remington steel oh uh, yes uh, razor ad i liked the i liked the product so much i bought the company <laughs> so yeah that was his that was his saying um and so yeah basically i took on um took him on board and um yeah we had a couple of couple of years uh from 2014 uh to 2016 and during uh, to working together and during that period i i did have an exit strategy in mind uh personally um and I was able to then structure a few things to take pressure and uh, make myself dispensable um, mm. 
which was the biggest thing. I had to become dispensable. You know, the business had to be World Safaris without Sean Levings. And um, and I made that happen. And, and basically, um, I did get to a point where I wasn't enjoying it as much anymore, I guess. And, and that's when you realise you, you know, you should be getting out if you're not enjoying it as much and you're burning out. And um, so I, uh, I had an expression of interest from an outside party to, to buy my share. And I, um, I, I, I told my then partner, John Finlay about this and he, uh, he had the first right of refusal um, to, uh, to, 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 you know, buy the rest of my shares. Um, so yeah, we, we negotiated and came up with a, a fair price and, uh, and that was it. So um, it it um, it was it was fairly smooth, really. But it took that uh, getting that business partner on board and making myself dispensable, and you know, um, upskilling a few of the other staff, mm. um, you know, to be able to do what I'd been doing. Because I did I did have a tendency to, uh, you know, to be doing a bit too much. I was doing sales and marketing, and uh, you know. And the day-to-day -day business along with um, the liaison with all of our suppliers and so forth and i was tending to micromanage a, a little bit too much and um, I, I did learn over that two-year period to be able to 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 stop doing that and make myself dispensable and yeah it, was, it worked well yeah so i see a lot with business owners there that, oh business can't run without me i really want this freedom lifestyle and i'm like treat it as if you're going to sell it like yep. if you really want to have a freedom lifestyle, you need yep. to gear that business up for it to be able to run without you. Maybe yep. you still want to do the things you love or maybe it yep. would do, in your opinion, better than if somebody else was running it and you could still mm. have a part. But if you truly want to be able to, you know, go to the Maldives for two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, six months, be, six months, be <laughs> like be completely free of your technology or not having yep. to... Like, oh, yep. shit, I've got to put out this fire. Like, oh, my God, it's mm. barreling. Mm. No, mm. I have to do this. Mm. What are some of the things that, so you had you had to learn to micromanage less, yep. upskill some of the other people. What were some of the other things yep. that you needed? Or, like, if you were going to teach somebody else to read themselves up, what are some of the things that they need to think about now? If, you, if they went two-year timeline, I'm going to be able to go for six months and just surf all day. Yeah. I mean, delegation is the key. You've got to learn to delegate. So you have to be able to, yeah, take that ownership, you know, that, as you said, the business, for someone to say, oh, the business is going to be no good without me and they don't do anything about it. Well, they're going to be, they're going to be chained to that business forever. So um, I like what you said. You've got to, you've got to have that philosophy that, you, you you're going to be selling the business you're going to be getting out of the business you've got to have a you've got to have that exit plan and so yeah i think it's it is just a matter of um you know um yeah that that knowledge sharing uh of all aspects of what you did as the company founder ceo and you know identify the right individuals to be able to handle parts of what you're doing or you know enlist a outside ceo who's you know had experience um you know in a similar field or you've identified that that would be um a, a, an ideal replacement so it's yeah it's not easy obviously but it's um it's it's doable it might cost you more in um in wages initially because you will need to recruit uh potentially other staff to uh to offload the the workload of you know yourself to to be able to free yourself up um so in in our case we had to employ a full-time accountant uh you know we then uh had full-time sales and marketing um whereas before we kind of had part-time you know, we had myself doing a bit of accounts, someone else doing a bit of accounts. Um, you know, we had me doing some sales and marketing and someone else doing sales and marketing, but it wasn't, you know, so that so was, it was finding those individuals who you could entrust to, um, to, to take over those responsibilities that the, that you had as the owner and CEO. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
did you, was there any books or anything that helped you get yourself ready to be able to do that handover or to set up the systems and processes or even the mindset to be able to let go? Uh, to be honest, I'm not much into reading books about business. I, I, um, I just, I'm fairly instinctive, I guess. Um, I mean, I listen to people. I've got, I've got mates that are, you know, big end of town in business. So, you know, talk to them. I, you know, I, I, I more, yeah, I talk to others. Uh, the partner I took on, he was, he, he, he'd been at, you know, bigger end of town business as well. So he was helpful. Um, yeah, it was, it was about, um, yeah, basically having a plan and having it structured. Um, I was very organized as far as, you know, I guess, uh, timelines and goals of having certain things done. But um, at the end of the day, you know, in early 2016, when I made that decision to sell, it was fairly spontaneous. Um because I did have that outside offer and it was like, okay, well, am I going to keep doing what I'm doing for the next 10 years, uh, 15 years, whatever, or am I going to, you know, go on to the next chapter of my life? And, uh, you know, which, which I did, I opted for that. And yeah, it's, you know, a lot of people said, well, why, why, why are you selling your business? You've got such a great business. But at the time it was like, well, yeah, I, I, you know, made some other decisions outside to to um to make my lifestyle a bit better as well. Yeah. Mm. So what I what I heard there was that you actually, even though like some people turn to books, some people have a network, but turning to people that have done it before, getting advice from people that have been uh, in bigger businesses, and one mm. of the things that reminds me of I was listening the other day was. These, there's often business owners that feel like they're stuck at a certain level. But if you look at the some of the five people that they spend the most time with or that they hang out with or take advice and input from, mm. they're, mm. At a le- they're at a level lower than them and they've never been there and done it before. So they're looking at even their advice and the lens that they look at things from comes from that perspective. And they mm. don't branch out and look at where can I get challenged or pushed or where do I need to start hanging out in the rooms of the people that are going to like, how can you be the, the the dumbest person in the room or or the one with the least knowledge or the one that's not been in this situation before so that you are getting things looked at from a different perspective and lens. So it sounds mm. like you you were lucky to have some of those people in your circle, yeah? Yeah, exactly. No, I, I was able to lean on them for, for advice and, um, yeah. And also, you know, I mean, you need a good accountant, you need a good lawyer um, just to get all the, the legal aspects of your your uh your, your sale contract in place and your you know the um uh, yeah all of that structured <laughs> yeah mm. beautiful let's switch gears for a second let's talk about the fact that the world's finally w- waking up again when mm. when did you actually decide to create island hop maldives and am i pronouncing it wrong maldives maldives maldives, <laughs> maldives. is the correct pronunciation <laughs> yep. but uh a lot of people do say the maldives yeah <laughs> So yeah. when did when did you decide to go back into the game, and then also then 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 the follow up will be, what happens now because it kind of went quiet for a little while thanks to mm-hmm. COVID. Yep. Where are we going? Okay. Um, so basically, after I sold World Safaris on the thirty first of May two thousand and sixteen, I had the you know obviously corporate restraint and, and so forth. Um, that you know, for th- that was for three years, um, and I, to be honest, I've never had any intention of starting another surf travel agency as such to to compete uh, against them. So this was um, purely my my friend Dr. Abdullah Sobar, who owns the Hindu, the boat in the Maldives, uh, approached me. Um, and yeah, we'd become very good friends because back at World Safaris, we did represent the Hindu for a number of years. And then um, some reason or another, they, they they stopped working with World Safaris after I sold um, and weren't really doing a lot in surf tourism for a little while. They, they, they have a they have a another couple of businesses that are very successful over there. Anyway, he he contacted me in mid-2000 and 19 and said hey Sean we're thinking of 
rejuvenating Hundu and getting it running again, we'd love you to get on board. And my first reaction was no, I've got no interest in running another boat charter. Uh, you know, because if unless you're there on the ground a lot of the time uh, and being an owner operator or so forth, um, you know, things don't happen as efficiently in developing countries as you would like them to. Um, and, you know, there's broken promises and, you know, maintenance issues and so forth. So I was like, oh, a bit reluctant. And then he, he informed me that his best mate, um, retired military general Zuhair was coming on board as a partner um, and he was ex-head of Coast Guard over in the Maldives um, and a very well-respected military man um, who obviously being a general in, a, in, the, in the army could, could make get the stuff shit happen. Done. Yeah, get <laughs> shit done. Get yeah. shit done. <laughs> exactly. So I, um, I was obviously that piqued my interest. So I flew to the Maldives and I met, the, met um, General Zahair and the team he'd assembled um and yeah i was in i was like yeah we can we can make this happen um at the time my son had been working in super yachting um uh for three years in all parts of the world so he was coming on board as well to to spend some time um so that was yeah that was mid 2019 so we then did a um major um uh renovation on the boat uh a refit of, of uh uh you know the rooms and and and, it, and pretty much everything it looked uh, better than ever the boat so we we had a promo trip we, that we put together with some high profile surfers um Josie Prendergast um a guy named Oscar Langburn Sean Cansdell and a few others and we did a promo trip uh at the end of October with a videographer and a photographer and um we um yeah we had a week uh getting some great waves and some amazing content uh so from then i um i had the content to uh to 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 be able to start the marketing collateral um and uh you know build the website and the get the socials out there and um the endorsements of these high profile um athletes as well for them to you know to to spruik to the their their followers as well um so yeah it was wheels were in motion and within a pretty short period and i did a did a magazine article with smorgasbord a magazine as well and within a pretty short period of time the name was was out there and we had a, about eight um full group charters booked for 2020 um by the end of 2019 um and then, yeah, buddy, COVID hit. So um, March 2018, Australia went into lockup and um, and that was it. So we had to, basically, I, ref I just refunded everyone their deposits and said, you know, we'll revisit, um, you know, when, when we, um, when things open up again, you know, if you choose to travel again with us. And that was, you know, that was very well received by those who had paid and their deposits because a lot of companies just held them in credit for future travel but yeah. you know a lot of people were doing it tough in the you know their businesses were affected by COVID or whatever so I just I said okay no yeah have you have exactly money back that you paid us um obviously yeah fast forward two years you know we were locked down till what um early this year <laughs> um and so things are starting to happen again. We did get a couple of Europeans because the Maldives has actually been reopened since July 2021 um, really? for tourism. Yes. Any so, restrictions? Um, they did originally. Yes, you had to present negative PCRs, had to be double vaxxed and all that. Um, but it did prove really successful because in the Maldives, you basically arrived to the airport and you're ushered directly to a boat to take you to either your resort or 
your liverboard boat, uh, mm. your charter boat, like the Hundu. Um, so you're not really, you're not going into major towns. You're yeah. not being uh, around lots of people. So all the, and all the staff had to be obviously vaccinated, had to wear face masks, had to, had to, um, had to be COVID compliant. Um, so therefore it, um, it was, it was the Maldives was, was a model um, country for, for COVID safe travel. And it's continued to be, and now it's reopened without a need for any PCR tests or anything else. Um, you can, you can basically just travel to the Maldives really? now. Yeah. Even without vaccination. Uh, yeah, they're not asking for vaccination proof of vaccination. Fully anymore. open. Fully Welcome open. Aboard. Welcome aboard. They are fully open. So, um, yeah. So anyway, we've just relaunched our marketing. I guess probably a, a few months back, and we've got uh, I've got a Portuguese family on board uh, coming up next month, and I'm heading over there myself. Um, and then we've got an all girls group coming up um, later in the year, but the bookings for 2023 are starting to flow in now. Um, so it's, yeah, it's really exciting. Awesome. So talk to me about if you're considering, you're, you're considering a surf trip as a, as an individual and you're like, right, what are, what are the things that you should consider? What should you know? What do you need to think about? Right down to like, if you haven't been on a, uh, a live-on boat before what what's some of the things they should think about before going or just know um i guess it's we we only deal with groups at the moment so we're priding ourselves on designing i guess the word bespoke is probably overused now but um you know customized trips uh specific to your group and it can be you know friends family occasion vacations I kind of coined that phrase uh a while back when I was writing some marketing I hadn't heard it before actually but yeah 40th birthday is that birthdays. like a 40th birthday or a or a hen's party yeah anything like that that's right then conferences so um so I guess it's a matter of finding people that you're compatible to join your group <laughs> um and then um really just having the right surf equipment um an open mind to, uh, you know, realize that, you know, sure, obviously we, we don't promote photos of uh, blown out days, but it can happen, you know, yeah. <laughs> historically you're traveling at the, the peak surf season. However, we can't control the weather. Mm. Um, also uh, realizing that, um, you know, there, there's, there's, cultural differences uh, but yeah I mean most people are, are um, you know do their homework before they travel uh, so it's it's really a matter of just going okay well yeah what boards am I going to take what sunscreen um, and um, and off you go I mean as far as the logistics of planning a trip we don't because I'm not a travel agency anymore I'm just representing this one boat in the Maldives um, we give all the all the right information answer all the frequently asked questions on how to how to get there you know organize your flights to singapore airlines to mali uh get your travel insurance um um you know there's no vaccinations required you know apart from well yeah well there's no vaccinations required because there's no malaria or um yeah, nice. you know any any other nasties yeah. like that um wave wise it's a very user-friendly destination for surfers are probably the most user-friendly waves in the world um and that's you know i've done a lot of traveling in the world because uh, the waves are long walled up you know they're not they're not you can still get barreled there's some there is some you know more intense waves but a lot of them are just long down the line the waves like jails and sultans and um you know beacons and so forth um they're just yeah they're very user friendly um so you're not in fear of like certain places in indonesia and that you might be oh. you know in fear that you're going to take all the skin off your body on day one and you know and, and i went to the trip. mentawis um mm. for my first trip and i was lucky to get there for the swell of the season 
<laughs> I am not swell of the season girl. Uh, yeah, I yeah. drank literally 100 bintangs. They're like, we don't need to go and drink that many beers. And uh, spent a lot of time. I hung a rope off the edge of the boat, cut open a pool noodle, sat in that, and then just drank my beers hanging on nice. the side because yep. That, yep. I just had. I just had no business being there. <laughs> so I got a couple of no. little days. We had some fun at Bing Bings and Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, no, and I mean obviously there can be there can be big days over there. It's it's a, identifying the right time of year as well. Like the early and late season are great times for you more, you know, you might some longboarders or fun board riders. Um, you know, then you've got the middle season, say july august is you know that's when you're going to get your biggest swells like indo yeah. um um so you know it's a matter of talking to me i guess i like you know talking to people i get people calling me on whatsapp from all over the world and happy to have a chat or happy to do a do a do a facetime or whatever to really um talk about the their their needs for their trip and and for each individual on board as well um we have a really good customer profile form that we get everyone to complete um when they sign up for the trip just so that we you know it's even got your favorite drink on there so we can we can order the you know the the spirits that go in your cocktail um because the Maldives you can't take your own alcohol into the Maldives um mm -hmm. So, but we obviously have a well-stocked bar and uh and you know any so yeah things like that and favorite food and any allergies or any and, and also your dream waves what boards you're going to be riding so that then i i talk to our guides who we work with some of the best surfers and experienced local maldivian surf guides who speak very good english and have been involved in surf tourism for years and then we 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 they 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 know all the customer profiles before the customers even get on board, so that you know we go okay well we can see by your profile you're not looking for, you know wave of the season, uh, eight foot grinding barrels you'd probably and it is eight foot and solid it's at you know cokes at the moment so we're going to take you down to some more protected options and you know and uh, find waves that you can you can ease into at the start of your trip and you can work up to those more, more changing waves towards the end if you like and you know and then we'll have your favorite cocktail on deck at the end of the day <laughs> i love it i love it um what's the so what's the minimum number and maximum number um your boat can take well, there's really no minimum. It's a matter of how much dollars <laughs> you want to spend. Exactly. If, yeah. if 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 there's if you're one person and you're really wealthy and you want to take the whole boat to yourself Knock for a week, out. you can do it. You know, costs you about fifteen grand US for a week, and you can take the boat for yourself. Um, or yeah, so it's basically prorated on a per person basis up to a maximum of ten on. Yep. Um, on 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 uh, on that basis and all those prices are on islandhopmaldives.com awesome i like my brain is running because what i love about the fact that you've got a small group and it's a curated group one of my yep. fears would have been jumping onto a boat with a bunch of randoms and yep. you're stuck in a confined space and you don't know who's going to be loose and you know yep. you like that that anxiety of being literally hmm. trapped with yep with randoms like in a resort it's a different thing where you can you know on a land resort you can go and find your own space but on a yep. boat yeah that that doesn't for doesn't sure and i mean great. i did that for many many years we constructed groups um you know building groups with individuals for scheduled departures and you know most of the time you know there's usually one dickhead on a, on a trip but you know most of people you know they work it out they work around them but um but yeah i've got no interest in doing that at the moment i i just you know there's no rigid schedules there's it's 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 all about that group experience um yeah. so yeah Oh man, you have reignited my passion. I'm literally going to be getting off this and talking to my team about designing our next intensive because I've got uh, I've got clients that surf and you know they're not all hard chargers like they're your average guys, average girls that you know lo would love uh, a long wave and different skill set levels. But then I've also got some that <laughs> like one of my clients he goes, I I said what do you like about me? Like why me? And he's like. I love that you surf and I love that you've got that lifestyle. He goes, I'm fucking never going in the water. I'm shit scared of sharks. 
<laughs> but I'm happy to watch you guys. Yeah. Right. Well, they, you can, and they'd love. He might, he, just, he might like his fishing. I mean, great yeah. fishing, great fishing. And you get some, you know, we show you the, the Maldives that resort tourists don't see. Uh, they go to a resort, they go to a five-star resort and they're on an island and that's all that there is on the island is that resort mm. where we cruise around and pull into village islands and we'll, you know, we'll know one of the locals who'll climb a tree and pick some coconuts and have fresh coconut water and, uh, you know, uh, get, call into the local school and see the, the kiddies, you know, and it's brilliant, you know, and have a, have a game of soccer with, you know, some of the local lads on the beach or whatever. Yeah. You know, there's who, that sort of experience. Who wouldn't want to like cruise around the tropics on a yacht? Like, yeah. really? like if you can't if you can't find something to love, to love about that, <laughs> there's something wrong, right? <laughs> oh, exactly. Yeah, no. It, I, I think it's the ultimate way to to see a destination because you're always mobile and you you can uh, work around you know certain crowd factor and that as well. You know, if you've got say in the mainstream area of the Maldives, the, the North Mali Atoll, certain breaks can get congested at times. There's no denying that. Um, like a lot of, the, you know, like everywhere in the world pretty much these days. Um, but if you're on a boat, you can time your surfs. You can get there on first light, surf before a resort boat gets there. And then you're having your big breakfast, you know, whilst they're surfing, they buzz off back to the resort, you get back out there, you know, and it's kind of those strategic manoeuvres that we pride ourselves on being able to do to, to duck and weave and dodge crowd factor as well. I love it. But for mm. someone that lives here, dodging crowd factors is a high priority list. Yeah, <laughs> it's a tricky one. Yeah. Uh, give me one last parting piece of advice that you would give uh, a business owner who surfs. Um, make time to go surfing honestly um it's so i made that mistake for years of chaining myself to the desk and saying i i can't you know i can't justify leaving leaving the office to down tools to go for a surf but you know you need to find that time and it rejuvenates you as well um you know you get back and you're, you're stoked you know usually if you've had a good surf I mean just you should always be stoked after a surf regardless I feel you know you're getting in the water and you've you've got that you know that it's it, it is therapeutic so yeah go surfing and particularly if you know I shouldn't say, if you're the business owner you know delegate to your staff so you can go surfing <laughs> Yeah, you you haven't got your business to the right level if you can't delegate it enough to go for a go for a wave every exactly. now and then. Exactly. Hey? If you feel guilty that you're leaving your you know your desk for two hours or your 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 workshop or whatever for two hours to go surfing, well, you're doing something wrong. Need to sit down and make a new plan. I reckon. I love yeah. it. I love it. Yeah. I reckon that's the the mic drop moment. Thank you so much, Sean. Just uh, can you just state again where can people find you guys? And we'll make sure it's in the show notes too, though. Yeah, just uh, islandhopmaldives.com. Epic. We'll make sure they're in the show notes. Team, put it on the screen. Get on it. Book your group charter. I'm definitely getting off to uh, see what I can do to, to put together a crew ASAP. Epic. Awesome. We'd love to have you guys on board. You. Thanks, guys. Okay. You. <laughs>